Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. We're about to embark in a new story genre for football history. We call it a Hail Mary to Homicide, investigating the dark side of the pigskin, some true crime, and some drama of the football field and the gridiron. And we have a great story coming up to you with our case number one in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren. He's at pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And we have kind of a different kind of episode we're going to cover tonight. We're going to go into a series where we're going to talk what I'm going to call Hail Mary to Homicide, Investigating the Dark Sides of the Pigskin. A little bit of true crime uh, concerning the gridiron. This is going to be a, kind of an interesting series. We'll go through some great history of the game, some history of American history, and some criminal history. And uh, just show you some other sides of what was going on in the world of sports. And tonight, case number one, we're going to call it, is called From the Sid the Kid to Mayor Luckman. Now, this is, of course, a story about Sid Luckman, the great quarterback of the Chicago Bears and in the NFL, one of the, the greats of the T formation. And we'll get into his story in just a moment. But before we do, let's make sure you're aware. We have a book that's recently come out. It's called The World's Greatest Pro Gridiron Team, the 1903 Franklin All-Star. It's a story about a team that was put together of all-stars, imagine that, uh, from a small town in Pennsylvania, and they went in to do some tremendous things, uh, never been repeated, never have been uh, done before at that time, and never since. And just a wonderful thing, you can order it on Amazon. We have a link to it on the front cover of PixieAndDispatch.com, or you can go on to Amazon, order it yourself, the world's greatest program iron team, 1903 Franklin All-Stars by Darren L. Hayes. Now let's get into our story. The Sid Luckman, the very famous name in NFL history, and he was born in Brooklyn, New York, in November 21st, uh, 1916, just before World War I. And he was born to Russian Jewish immigrants. Now his early life it revolved around family. And he was growing up in a kid on the tough streets of Brooklyn. His youth was fueled by athletic prowess and a revolutionary new system that was coming out in offense. But that's a little ways down the road here. Sid Luckman was propelled in the future to becoming one of the NFL's most influential quarterbacks. But his story is hidden 
by a secret code of journalists not dishing the dirt on superstar athletes. It went untold for decades. Yeah, there was a sort of that unwritten rule that if you were a famous star and you had, were going someplace, well, if there was something dirty in your past or something going on with your family, they weren't going to bring it to the media, much unlike today in our social media age where somebody wants to get the scoop and the paparazzi uh, everywhere trying to get a story out there and nobody has any secrets, it seems, anymore. But this secret has been come out uh, since uh, Lachman's death. I believe he died in the 1998, I believe, in, in his 80s. Uh, hopefully he didn't have to suffer too much through it. But the Luckman family, as Sid was growing up, lived in a two-story brick house right there in the borough of Brooklyn. And Sid's mother, Ethel Druckman Luckman, we're going to have a few rhyming words here, a, a Druckman married a Luckman. Ethel was well-educated, very classy lady, and a caring mother. Now, Sid's father, Mayor Luckman, or Meyer Luckman, we're probably going to say it wrong, we're going to say Mayor, uh, he was a good provider, but really wasn't much of a father or a family man uh, to young Sid. They did live together, they did have involvement, but he was just sort of a, a rough and tumble businessman, uh, almost sort of a wise guy, if you can imagine. Now, Meyer was, uh, you know, he was a big dude, and he uh, started in his uh, career of moving in the United States by pushing a, a cart around, selling flour to local bakeries and other businesses, probably some homes, and uh, he, he looked and felt aged by the time he had immigrated uh, from the tough life he had as a Russian Jew uh, back in the homeland. Kind of a, not an easy life to come over, bringing a family over or at least a wife over to the United States going to a whole new opportunity and then going into a giant city uh, like New York City in Brooklyn it was kind of a pretty tough place to live even back then and he was a bit of a, a hard ass to put it bluntly uh, he was very disciplined uh, as far as what he wanted to do to his children what he expected of them I mean, so much so that on one occasion we have a story that came out that he would warn uh, you know, Sid Luckman, young Sid, that uh, you know, Meyer would take the use bike away if he ever caught him riding in the street. You know, just like most parents do. You don't want your kids riding their bikes around the street when they're too young. You don't want them to get hit. Uh, you know, probably wasn't a lot of car traffic there, but trolleys and you know, who knows, horses, wagons, people, whatever. You, you just don't want your kids out in the street at any age. Well, Meyer sort of held true to his word because one day he came home, spots young Sid out riding in the street, riding his bike like any boy would do. You know, not necessarily just disregarding your parents' wishes, but gosh, that, it's just too inviting. You have that nice, smooth surface, big, long surface, riding your bike. You're free as the wind. You get you know, as fast as you want on it. You know, that's that's where you know kids want to head to. Well. Mayor saw it and uh, took the bike from Sid, took it and threw it in the yard, went and grabbed his axe, and he chopped the two-wheeler into pieces with an axe right before his son to show him. He said, hey, I told you I was going to take the bike away. Well, he definitely he took it away and made it so it would be unrideable uh, ever again. That's just the kind of guy 
that Mayor Luckman was. The mayor, who was about 60 at the time, uh, owned with his brother a, a trucking company. Yeah, he's 60 years old, so you can tell, you know, he has probably had Sid probably when he was in his late 40s, early 50s. Uh, you know, so you can see there's a big generational gap that's part of not being a close father probably to be able to relate to your children and things were changing at that time just like they are in most eras but anyway mayor and his brother started this flower business they went from you know the push carts uh, to finally they they got a truck and they started delivering flour to more and more of these little bakeries around New York City which were probably on every street corner and he ended up, you know, his brother and him ended up hiring their cousins and their nephews. And, you know, he drove the truck. And sometimes he even would let the young Sid sit in the front seat and ride around with him and go on the rounds delivering the flour to the different uh, vendors around town. So this one truck soon turned into another truck. And soon the, the brothers owned a fleet of these trucks and ended up getting a garage that was at 225 Moore Street in Brooklyn. It housed a, a bunch of trucks there. They were having employees, uh, they're having deliveries, and business was starting to go pretty well. Now, in those days, if you wanted to stay in business and you wanted your business to grow, this is Brooklyn, New York. It's This, this is the... 1920s, 1930s. It's a time for mobs and gangland, and you have to pay your respects to the mob because their business is to be in your business and make money off of you. So he played nice with the mob. He used some of the trucks for probably not only delivering flour, but uh, probably some other illicit type items uh, you know, through prohibition maybe some other things weapons who knows what they're delivering quite nefarious activities I'm sure but they're also collecting money and running numbers and those kind of things they're in the syndicate my mayor is definitely in this syndicate of the Jewish mob so that he can survive and thrive a little bit and playing nice with them and that's part of what you have to do to be in cahoots with them you have to act like them and do business with them the way they do well the company was thriving and its trucks were rumbling through the city streets like arteries delivering the lifeblood up to countless bakeries the flour that humble ingredient it transformed into crusty loaves and airy treats and fueled by the tireless rhythm of their engines of these delivery trucks. But beneath the surface of his industrious enterprise, shadows lurked. In those days, certain unseen hands held sway, whispering promises of protection and exacting a price for their grip. The mayor, the company's patriarch, understood the game and he navigated the delicate dance, offering leverage in exchange for a semblance of order amidst the city's undurably uh, and sort of nefarious activities. Names like Lansky and Luciano, though never spoken aloud, 
hung heavy in the air on the streets of Brooklyn, and their influence was invisible as the flower dust clinging to the bakery floors. But they were there, and their presence was felt. Now, we've said that Mayer was working with some of the other Luckmans, you know, his brother, his brother's sons, some cousins, you know, he was trying to get Sid in a little bit, but Sid was kind of an athlete. Sid's playing ball at Erasmus High School, a, a local high school, and doing quite well in school and doing quite well at athletics in high school too. So he's busy doing that. So probably a good thing for Sid in that case. But they, Ethel had a brother and his name was Samuel. Sam is what he went by, Sam Druckmann. And Ethel one day probably came to her husband and influenced him a little bit and said, Sam was sort of down on his luck, sort of hurting for money, needed a job. You know, Mayer had a successful business, knew that uh, he could probably help her brother out. So she talked her husband into hiring Sam Druckmann. And what Sam Druckmann's problem was, was he was a gambler. And he wasn't a very good gambler because he was indebted to some of these probably same nefarious people that, you know, Mayer was in cahoots with. So to sort of protect his brother-in-law and help make his wife and appease her and make her happy, happy wife, happy life, he hired Sam Druckmann to his trucking business in the syndicate. Now, soon... Sam's out driving the trucks by himself and he's collecting money from for some of the protection money and some of the other syndicate money uh, that has to go through. But he, Sam comes up with his own little business practice, quote, quote. He starts skimming money off of this money that he was collecting. So he's taking so much money from the, the poor baker uh, to buy this flower and the protection money. He's taking his cut in unbeknownst to, to Mayor Luckman. And then he's bringing Mayor Luckman back the rest of the money and it seems like everything's all happy. Well, it's a small town. People in Brooklyn talk and it gets back to Mayor that Sam Druckman is skimming off the top of his business. This is not a good situation. First of all, you know, Mayer probably didn't want to hire his brother-in-law anyway. Secondly, he's, his brother-in-law is taking money from him, his money. And thirdly, he's taking the mob's money. And Mayer knows that he will have to pay consequences for that unless he takes care of this himself. Now, Sam's shady past you know, was definitely catching up with him. And he started even skimming a little bit more money because he was getting into some horse racing gambling debts. He thought maybe he could make some money, you know, betting on the whole ponies at the local park and uh, make some money, get out of the debt he has, maybe even stop working for his brother-in-law. But it didn't work. He just got more and more in debt. So he said, well, I got money in my hands every single day. I'll take some of that money. So something had to change. And to Mayer, there was really only one solution. He didn't want to owe favors to the mob, nor have that group mad at him if they found out about Druckmann stealing going on without punishment. And he didn't want to fire Sam Druckmann because of his wife. 
So in Mayer's mind, the only thing he could do is take action himself with some help those he worked with. And that is, they had to off Sam Druckmann. So the brutal act would occur March 3rd, 1935. They lured Sam to the company garage where they housed all these trucks for the flower delivery business on a Sunday evening. Nobody's around. They have him go into the shop in the garage and they're waiting for him is Mayor Luckman, Harry Luckman, Fred Hall, and Morris Luckman, Mayor's cousin. Harry was Mayor's nephew. Fred Hall, he was an employee at the garage that they had hired. Well, they beat Sam Druckman senseless and ended up strangling him until he breathed no more. Now this course became a homicide. It was in all the papers. 1935, this is occurring in the spring. And they ended up having a, a grand jury called to see if they were going to indict uh, Mayor Luckman, Morris Luckman, Harry Luckman, and Fred Hall. And in April of 1935, this goes to case, and it ends up getting thrown out. The allegations are dropped, the parties are released, and the hearing is dismissed. Now, as that got done, some things started floating around, some accusations and rumors that there was a hundred grand bribe put into some of the powers of B to make this case go away. By the time that fall had reached, had been reached, November, December-ish, the mayor of New York City, uh, Mr. LaGuardia, Mayor LaGuardia, who the airport is named for, I'm assuming, he went to his district attorney that was in Brooklyn a certain William F.X. Gigan to ask him to reopen that case. Now, Gigan went to the county judge Martin of Brooklyn and secretly was going to bring him some new evidence against those four for the murder of Sam Druckmann. This started a media frenzy, and the district attorney's office was keeping everything as hush as they could. They didn't want any secrets to get out what this new evidence was or anything like that, but they were gonna prosecute. They couldn't, they had to bring up new evidence because they were, could not indict on the previous evidence that the previous grand jury heard. So in March of 1936, the jury hears the Mayor Luckman story. As all this is going on, Sid Luckman is graduating from high school from Erasmus High. He's being accepted into Columbia University, which is right there in the city. So he's not leaving home. All the newspapers are covering this whole high crime of his father. 
the New York Times, the Brooklyn newspapers, you know, there's a hundred newspapers in New York City going on at the time. And you would think this would affect the kid, you know, his father is going through all this, but Sid's focused on his athletic ventures. He, his talent blossomed as he attended Columbia University, where he excelled as a multifaceted athlete. Now, Mayer, meanwhile, ended up going through that grand jury and was convicted of the murder of his brother-in-law, sentenced to serve a life imprisonment in Sing Sing Prison for the murder of Sam Druckmann. Now, as we said, Sid was having all kinds of great uh, athletic feats happening, and he soon graduated from Columbia Lions football program and from Columbia itself, and was drafted by the Chicago Bears in 1939. And at that same time, it was the dawn of the T formation, a complex offensive system that prioritized the passing game using the quarterback. Now, initially skeptical, Sid, was, who was a, been a halfback, and remember before that T formation, halfbacks threw the ball quite more often than quarterbacks. But Sid embraced the unorthodox system of the T formation and really became its first successful practitioner at quarterback. Uh, being able to hand off and throw the ball and do some running. And Sid's pro career uh, ended up getting interrupted by World War II, where Sam went and served uh, his country, the United States, during that war. Well, meanwhile, back in Sing Sing, Mayer, who is getting a little bit older at that time, uh, probably under heavy stress. Lord only knows who else is in there with him and what's happening to him. Well, he gets sent to the infirmary. He's ill. He's on his deathbed. He dies 1944 in prison. Now, going back to Sid, with his powerful arm and exceptional understanding of the T-formation, Sid Luckman transformed the Bears. He led them to four NFL championships after the war in five years, rewriting the record books, and he became the first quarterback to throw for over 28 touchdowns in a season, setting numerous passing yards and completion percentage records. He was a maestro of the air, dissecting defenses with pinpoint accuracy and audacious throws and a great decision maker on when to run, when to pass, and where to throw the ball. But Sid wasn't just a record breaker, he was a game changer. The success with the T formation revolutionized the entire league, making the passing game a mainstay and paving the way for future stars like Sammy Baugh. He was a charismatic leader, known for his sharp wit and unwavering confidence, earning him the nickname, the Playmaker. Sid's career, while brilliant, wasn't all without challenges, injuries, and disagreements with management led to him leaving the Bears for the New York Yankees in 1950. His post-Bears years were a little bit less glorious, but his impact on the game remained undeniable, and when Sid retired in 1952, he left behind a legacy as an iconic quarterback, a pioneer of the passing game, and a champion whose audacity forever changed the landscape of professional football. And he did all this with a dark secret that his father had been convicted of murder. Murder of his favorite uncle, Sam, by the way. And his mother was heartbroken that she lost a brother and lost a husband and her son moved on to bigger and better things. That's our story and we appreciate you sitting through and uh, 
like to get some feedback on this. You know, how, what do you think about doing some of these true crimes uh, with the pigskin twist on them? Uh, we'll talk, get to talk a lot about the athletes, get to talk a little bit about the game and the world we live in with some high crimes that have been happened to these people and how they responded to it, sometimes overcoming it like Sid Luckman, sometimes not. But we're going to tell some more here in the coming year, part of our 2024 resolutions that uh, we'll get you some new stories here. So thanks a lot for joining us. Hope you'll join us for our next episode, which will be coming up in the next couple days. Until then, have a great Gridiron Day. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.